I'm going to be reading this morning from what's called the message. It's a paraphrase. It's not really a biblical translation, though it's done really with the biblical text in mind. It's written to try to speak a little more toward uh, a modern ear. Uh, And so I'm going to be reading this text of David and Goliath. The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. They deployed them at Sakah in Judah and set up camp between Sakah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul and the Israelites came together, camped at Oak Valley, and spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. The Philistines were on one hill and the Israelites on the opposing hill with the valley between them. A giant nearly ten foot tall stepped out from the Philistines' line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops. Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you will all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man. Let us fight it out together. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Enter David. He was the son of Jesse the Ephraimite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse, the father of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons who had joined up with Saul were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest son. While his three oldest brothers went to war with Saul, David went back and forth from attending to Saul to tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. One day, Jesse told David his son, take this sack of cracked wheat and these 10 loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp and take these 10 wedges of cheese to the captain of their division. Check in on your brothers and see what they are, whether they are getting along all right. And let me know how they're doing. Saul and your brothers and all the Israelites in the war against the Philistines in Oak Valley. David was up at the crack of dawn and having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took his food and was on his way just as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines moved in position facing each other battle ready. David left his bundles of food in the care of a sentry, ran towards the troop who were deployed, and greeted his brothers. While they were talking together, the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, stepped out in the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge, and David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, have you ever seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenging Israel. The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward, offer his daughter as a bribe, and give his entire family a free ride. 
David, who was talking with the men standing around him, asked, What's in it for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive? They told him what everyone was saying, that the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. David said to him, what is it with you? All I did was ask a question, ignoring his brother. He turned to someone else and asked the same question and got the same answer as before. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. But Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. He's been fighting in the fighting business since before you were born. David said, I've been a shepherd, tending my sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took the lamb for his flock, I'd go after it, knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of a lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul said, go, and God help you. Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in in his pocket in his shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hands, he approached Goliath. As the Philistine faced back and forth, paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look at him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fudged. The Philistine ridiculed David, am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the feed mice, field mice. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angels' armies, the God of Israel's troops, who you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everything gathered here, everyone gathered here will learn that God's, God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God and he's handing you to us on a platter. That roused the Philistine and he started towards David. David took off from the front line running towards the Philistine. He reached in his pocket for a stone, slung it and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. That's how David beat the Philistines. With a sling and a stone, he hit him and killed him. 
no sword for David. Then David ran up to the Philistine and stood over him, pulled the giant's sword from his sheath and finished the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. The men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet, shouting, they chased the Philistines all the way to the outskirts of Gath and the gates of Ekron. This morning, I'm going to ask you to look at this story from a different lens. Much of the time, we think of this story from the perspective of David. That seems to be how the text is written. But today, I want to ask you to look at this story from the perspective of Goliath. So imagine that you are Goliath. Now, the text says you're about 10 feet tall. So everybody sit up pretty straight. Sit up straight. You got to get into this. You got to get into the character here. Um, You are Goliath. You're a Philistine, member of the nation of Philistia. You're one of the descendants of Ham, that's one of the sons of Noah. Your family heritage has an interesting kind of back and forth history of relating to Israel. Abraham and Isaac dealt with King Abimelech and had good relationships with him. Israel went around your nation when they had to go and take the promised land. But by the time Israel came in and won the promised land, well, uh, you had kind of moved in there. And Israel did not do a good job of kicking you out. And so for, for, for generations, there has been this back and forth between your people and Israel. Sometimes Israel will start worshiping your God. Sometimes you will um, be part of Israel more or less. Some of the judges have, have gone to war with your people. Most famously, Samson. And you remember stories of Samson who had his hair cut but still managed to get the strength to kill so many of your relatives. And in recent memory, you, you've had the, the, the Ark of Israel stolen by some of your people, but it caused you so much problems, you gave it back. You're Goliath, you're, you're the champion. You are huge. You have won many battles. You have fought long, many, many times. Because you're so long, and I'm always interested in this because I have a background in martial arts, reach is a big deal in hand-to-hand combat. And being that, that large, you can strike with any kind of weapon before your opponent can even reach you, which makes it very difficult for people to fight you. You also wear this amazing armor. This is probably right at the beginning of, of, of where they're really practicing get, and getting good at dealing with bronze. And so this armor is the best armor that you can get. It's strong, it's expensive, it's heavy, uh, and it's covering your whole body. So not only are you huge, but you are just covered in this armor. Armor that has seen you through many fights. As the champion, it's your job to see if you can take on the other army's champion. And whoever wins that fight, they, may, they just consider that the war. So that not as many people are killed. Probably you've done this many times. And the fact that you're still alive and you're so confident that you can taunt Israel means you're pretty good at it. You've learned the value of intimidation. By yelling and by taunting, you understand that... You can defeat an army before you even begin. 
you understand the value of hope and you understand how devastating it is when someone loses hope. And so day by day you put on your armor and you march out in front of the army just kind of waiting to see if maybe Israel will engage in the battle and you intimidate them. You, you walk around having that stature where you look so, you're so tall, so much higher than the whole army, that when the army lines up and you walk through, everybody can see you coming. And you taunt, and you cheer, and you challenge. And you can tell after 40 days that you've got Israel whooped. Whoever they send out there, if they ever send anyone, is going to be so intimidated that you'll be able to just charge them as you had so many times before and take their lives. What about Samson? What about the memories and stories of Jericho, the the city that God had brought down and Israel had defeated by just simply walking around it? Where is this great nation of Israel who had the ark that you had to give back because it caused you so many problems? Has their God forsaken them? Has their leadership forsaken God? You probably don't know that God has rejected Saul as king. You don't know, because nobody knows, that David has already been anointed as the new king. And so you come out once again to make your speech, to do your taunting. But this time you see someone putting armor on in the back. You can see that because you're that tall. But then the person takes the armor off. And begins to march out at you just with a stick and a bag. And then you notice, this isn't a man. Certainly not a giant. This is a boy. Of course he can't wear armor. They don't make armor that small. No one has armor that small. Just a staff and a bag. Why was Israel doing this? Why hadn't they just given up? Why were they going to make you slay this poor little boy? What did this boy say to let Saul, let him walk out onto the battlefield? Had Saul just given up? Had Saul just gone ahead and sent the boy out because he knew he was going to be defeated? Is it actually an act of surrender? In which, why would you have this boy be killed in the process? Or worse, you think. Does Saul actually think this boy could defeat you? Now now you get offended. You get mad. I'm Goliath. Everybody knows me. You can see me a mile off. I'm that tall. I've been a champion. I've defeated so many. And you think this little boy can take me? You begin to taunt and intimidate this boy. You don't know that he's killed lions. That he's fought bears. You don't know that he spent a lot of his life getting very skilled with that staff. And very skilled with that sling. You don't know that. You don't know that God is with David, that David has already been anointed as the king. You underestimate this boy just as Samuel did when he went to anoint a king. He thought all the other brothers would be king. And with each brother that passed, he was told no. Samuel saw David, and he was the king. God told Samuel, God looks at the heart. He cares little for outward appearances. But you haven't learned that lesson. You curse David in the name of your gods and David invokes his God. It's like you both sort of know that even though it's you two really doing battle, 
There's an underlying battle that's taking place over whose God is going to win, whose God can be trusted. But David will not be intimidated by you. You can't evaporate David's hope. And so you run at him like you had so many times before to intimidate him. But actually, instead of running or holding his ground, David runs at you. He pulls a stone out of a bag and you notice that he has a sling in his hand. For a moment you think to yourself, "Uh uh-oh. Because you know that a sling can be shot at a distance that's beyond your reach, which means if this person is good with a sling, your length, your size will be of no advantage. But then you think, I've got all this armor. I have very little area that he can hit that could do any damage. And so you continue your charge just long enough to see that sling come around. That stone leave the sling. And you have this moment of, uh uh-oh. And that's the last thing that you remember. It hits you square in the head text even says it indents your head, which means it actually goes fast enough to break your skull. Something that you really could do with that sling. It could move fast. But, but it would have had to have been a perfect hit because we, we know you have this big bronze helmet on. You get a concussion right there. Your brain begins to hemorrhage. And you're not conscious when your head is removed from your body. The nation of Israel, which had no hope, which had for 40 days cowered, now runs past your headless body to slay many, many Philistines that day. The war is won by this little boy. This is such a well-known story. But a lot of times with a lot of these stories, we only basically have a children's sermon understanding of them because we've never really thought about them. I've heard sermons about Goliaths that you fight in your life and and metaphors about, well, what are the five stones that you have? But when you look at this from the perspective of Goliath, I think you see a lot more of the point of the story. Hope. Such a powerful thing, but the absence of hope can be even more powerful, even more devastating. Who is going to win this battle? Whose God can you hope in? And how does this boy David have such hope in the midst of an entire army? An entire army is cowering in fear. King Saul, who has already won several battles, who has already proven himself to be a strong warrior, he he has no hope. But this boy David comes in like, I'll take this fool. Don't we all love an underdog story? And this is what we live for. This is why we watch sports. This is like the point of almost every movie. Will the underdog get the girl? Will the underdog win the sporting event? How does this David keep hope when even his own brother tries to talk the hope out of him? How does he keep hope when he can have no armor? When the armor won't fit, so he goes out into battle with no protection, no security. How does he keep hope when he faces this giant who has won so many battles, who has so much armor, so many advantages over him? 
Maybe David is annoyingly optimistic. I know people that are like that. Maybe it's that he spent so much time with God on those fields. Maybe he's clinging to the promise that God called him to be king. But his hope is not in himself. His hope is clearly in God. Seems to me as I read the Bible that hope is an essential tenet of the Christian faith. Not that no matter what TV preachers want to tell you. Not that you're never going to go through bad times and go through suffering because all the biblical characters go through bad times and go through loss and go through suffering. Very few are rich and the ones who are rich are the least happy of all the ones in the whole Bible. But I think the mark of a Christian is that they have hope in the midst of the difficulties of life. I think that's what Jesus does to so many of the least and the lost and the broken. I think this is what so many of the Bible stories are about. This understanding that God loves us, God loves us enough to send His Son to die for us, that God is with us, that we as Christians have this ultimate source of hope. And yet I look at many Christians today and I see them act just like this army. They cower in fear. They look for hope in things like money and possessions in their job, their family, their status. And yet they don't live in that much hope. They live cowering in fear. They live overwhelmed. But we can trust in God. The same God who delivered David is the God that is with us when we cry, when we mourn, when we lose our jobs, when we go through so much in this world. That same God is with us. That same God sent Jesus to be human to understand with us. It's not a God who's distant from us. It is a God who is right there with us, in us, feeling our pain, praying to the Father on our behalf. That is a great source of hope. Not that everything's going to be good. Not that everything's always going to work out, but that God is going to be with us and we're going to choose, even when we don't want to as Christians, to believe in that and to trust in that anyway. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've lost hope. I don't know where you feel overwhelmed. I don't know where Goliath is for you right now. I don't know who you have, like David's brother that's trying to take your hope away from you because they don't have it and they don't want to see you have it. But I want to call you today to trust and to hope in God Almighty. And as a reminder of that, there, there are out either exit a little basket of stones, nice smooth stones. And so like David, what I'd like you to do on your way out is I'd like you to pick a stone. Don't just grab one, because that's not what David did. David looked carefully for the right smooth stone. And so I want you to do that as you leave today. I want you to go and find a little stone that's, that, that's your stone, that's smooth. And I want you to put it somewhere that's going to remind you of that hope. Whether that's work, whether that's in your kitchen, wherever that is for you. Maybe you're desperate enough, you just need to keep it in your pocket for a couple days. Use that as a reminder of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we have been through so much in our lives and in our world, and so I pray that you would bless those here. Bless them with peace. Bless them with comfort. Be with them.
In Jesus' name, amen.